That's so fun. Actually, I've never had to do a three-legged race, and I'm really grateful for that. Because that looks like hard work, guys. You did a really good job with that. So I'm curious, um, since the kids are busy, I have a question for you parents. Uh, Have you ever said the words to your kids, stop playing video games and go outside and play? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, that's a word, a phrase we've perhaps uttered. When I was growing up, I had a device that both allowed me to go outside and play video games at the same time. It was called a Nintendo Game Boy. Yeah, Nintendo Game Boy. This was my jam. This is a thing, I mean, so, so you guys who have like the Nintendo 3DS XL or whatever, this is the great granddaddy of whatever you've got out there, right? This is the real deal. I could play Mario, Donkey Kong, Mega Man, whatever. It was in my hands wherever I wanted to go. Pretty cool, huh? So around the age of 10 or 11, I can't remember exactly, my family took a trip to Lake Tahoe. And uh, it was, I mean, this was a big deal. We'd never flown a plane before, never rented a car, never done a hotel. It was a real big deal for me. And uh, we flew out there and um, we went up to the cabin. We found out a relative had a cabin by by the lake. And so we went up to this really rustic cabin it had an outhouse, woo, and it had a stream that went by it. It was cool. It was really cool. We were a stone's throw away from Lake Tahoe. And so one day we went down to Lake Tahoe and did a boat tour around the lake just to soak in the sights. And I think it was beautiful. I think it was beautiful because I don't really remember how beautiful it was because I was busy beating the final boss on Mega Man 5 on my Game Boy. Isn't that awesome? So there I was in the middle of Lake Tahoe beating my Game Boy. Wow. Okay. I look back on myself and it's like, man, I would have different priorities today. I would be more attentive to what was going on. So we just, it's funny, as adults, we just change how we think about time, don't we? We are in a series, as you've been hearing, called Get Outside. And we are looking back as we finished a giving initiative a couple months ago called Beyond These Walls. And we want to revisit how do we go beyond our walls? How do we do that? And as, as you, if you were here last week, you heard Rachel Toon share about reaching out to the Samaritans in our lives, the people who perhaps we wouldn't necessarily have reached out to. They need the gospel too. Who are those people in our lives who are kind of outside our circles? And this week, I've been tasked with uh, talking about how do we serve, how do we get outside and sweat, to use our hands and our feet to work for Jesus. What does that look like for us? And as I was preparing this sermon and, and kind of thinking about what I would say, I realized that the issue for us isn't necessarily that we need to be convinced to serve. Because I think all of us, I hope all of us would say, that's a good idea. We should serve. We should do good things for each other. We should go at the, to the rescue mission. We should uh, be an usher. We should spend time at the Y. We should serve, right? Those are good things to do. And there are real needs out there. All of us understand that. So what's the real issue here? When it comes down to it, we might hear a need or see something that's important to do, and what do we say? Ah, I'm just too busy. I don't have the time. I'm too busy. So really, when we talk about serving, about getting outside and sweating, the issue for us is a time issue, isn't it? All of us, me included, have to think about how we use our time. And this is really illustrated for me recently uh, we just did this food backpack for kids. And uh, if, if you know about this, we were, had an opportunity to do two things for the schools nearby. One is to collect a whole bunch of food that you see right there, right? 
and just collect this food so that we could make backpacks for these kids to take home with their families. And the other thing was to have some volunteers who would serve lunches during the week. Well, as you can see, we collected a lot of food. A lot of food. Almost a ton. 1,500 pounds of food. That's incredible. That's really generous. And on the other hand, it was really difficult to find people who had the time to serve lunch. Really difficult. It took a lot of work. I know Beth Burgess sweated bullets finding people who would be able to to serve this lunch. So to me, that just really illustrated this, this, uh, this issue that we have of finding the time to serve. We can be really generous with our money, with our resources, but time is a precious, precious resource, and we have so little of it. So I wanted to think about a passage that we could look at and learn more about what it means to think about time from God's perspective. So I'm going to talk about Luke 10, the passage of the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan. So many of you under, have heard this parable before. It's actually one of the stories in the Bible that's kind of made it into our culture that many people who've never been to church know about this idea of the Good Samaritan, the person who helps somebody out. But this morning, I want to think about this story through a different lens. I want to look at this story through the lens of time. We'll see what that means as we read it. So Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and he saw him. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we are just so appreciative of the wisdom of Jesus, his creativity, his cleverness to answer the the question of the lawyer with a story. So this morning as we hear this story, we pray that its timeless truths would come into our ears and sink down to our hearts and transform our lives. Lord, may it be so by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when I was uh, coming out of high school, like many high schoolers, I went straight into college. And I remember having a moment in college, that first semester, I was in college sitting in a class and thinking to myself, why am I here? What am I doing here? Because I had not declared a major. So I was sitting in a class without any idea of what I was going to be doing 
with the stuff that I was learning. I didn't know what my purpose was. So I actually dropped out of college for a time and pursued other things so I could figure out my purpose. I wonder how many of you have ever experienced something like that where you've tried to figure out what your purpose in life is. And for maybe some of you, you you could have an answer just like this. My purpose is this. Maybe some of you would not have an answer. Maybe you've never thought about that question. But when we begin to read this passage and we see the lawyer asking Jesus this question about how do I get eternal life, we must recognize that this is a purpose question. We don't think so much about eternal life in our culture now. It's not really a concept that's really common for us to think about. But maybe another way to think about this is how do I find meaning and purpose in my life? That's another way you could reword what this lawyer is asking Jesus. And Jesus tells him, what do you think, right? And the lawyer knows the right answer, actually. He knows the right answer. Um, and he says to Jesus, to love, right? That's the simple answer, to love. Love God and love one another, to put it really simply. What a profound answer this is. What a profound truth this is. And I really believe that it's a spiritual reality that as human beings, we are built to love God and to love one another. We are built that way. And it's interesting that Jesus' answer isn't fulfill yourself. It isn't find happiness. Do what makes you happy. That's not what Jesus said. He said the ultimate purpose in life is to love God and love one another. The ultimate purpose is, is to look outward. To be outward facing. I've found in my own life, in my own experience, that the least happy people I meet, the least joyful people I meet, are those whose life purpose is to fulfill themselves. It is so important for us to begin, when we talk about our time, to begin in a place of purpose. Just like when I was in college, I understood that my purpose determined how I would spend my time. So Jesus begins here. He begins with an understanding of our purpose. So you can imagine this lawyer hearing Jesus and saying, okay, I get this. I got this thing down. I got, I got the love of God thing down, I think, you know. But he's a lawyer. And so lawyers love to dot their I's and cross their T's and make sure all their ducks are in a row. So as he's thinking about this, he's saying, okay, I've got the love thing down, love God thing. What about this neighbor thing? I need to figure out who is my neighbor because I don't have a, an unlimited amount of time. I've got to put boundaries on this. I've got to figure out who's my neighbor so I can write out my schedule and do this right. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus proceeds to tell him a story about three people and how they prioritize their time. Three people and how they prioritize their time. Now, word about time. The New Testament was written in the Greek language, as you probably know. And in Greek, there are actually two words for time. Kronos and kairos. Kronos and kairos, okay? These two words for time put different kind of twists on how we understand time. Chronos is probably a word that we're familiar with because it's the root for the word chronological. And chronos is, is the, the, the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the days as they tick by, the sequence of time. But kairos is a little different. Kairos is, is time as moments, unique times, special times, appointed times, divine Divinely appointed times, even. Okay? 
So chronos, we would say, uh, a chronos way of using time is, what, what time is it? Or I don't have time. Okay, that's chronos time. Kairos is more like, it was a special time. Or it's not the right time to do that. Okay, can you hear the subtle difference between Kairos and Kronos? Now, what's interesting is as, as, uh, as Americans, I think we're really good at managing Kronos. We, we read books about it. We, we can shape time. We can shift time. We can, we can cheat time. We multitask, right? We've, we've gone to seminars. We have our schedulers, our planners. We all have watches. There's a clock right there that tells me I have 10 minutes left. We manage time really well, don't we, right? That's when we talk about chronos. But when we're looking at scripture, scripture is more concerned about kairos. So we come upon a verse like Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16. And it says, look carefully then at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time for the the days are evil, right? Making the best use of the time, says Ephesians 5. Now, we read that and we say, making the best use of our chronos, right? Make every second count. So we read that and we say, oh, you know what? I need to make sure my calendar is really efficient, that I'm making the best use of my time. But in the Greek, it actually says, making the best use of kairos, Making the best use of the kairos, the moments, the unique special times, the unique opportunities that God presents to us in our lives. So when we read, we come back to our story, when we read the story about these three individuals who manage their time, we see the difference between chronos and kairos. So we have the, the Levite and the priest who are coming down the road. And I can just imagine what might be going through their heads as they see this broken, wounded individual on the side of the road. This priest is going by and he says, that guy might be dead. If I touch him, I am impure. Which means I can't serve in the temple anymore. I don't have time for that. I'm sure the ambulance will come along any time now. So he moves on by. And then you've got the Levite who sees this guy and he says, you know what, I'm on my way to a prayer meeting. This is a great opportunity for me to pray for that guy. But I need to get to that prayer meeting. So I'm going to pray for him as I walk by. I extend my hand out to this man, pray for him. I'm sure someone will be on his way to help this guy. Right? They are living in a world where they are captivated by Kronos. The task at hand. The time as it ticks down. And then we have the Samaritan who comes by. And the Samaritan recognizes that this is a unique point, that this is a unique opportunity for him to live out his purpose as a human being, for him to extend love to this individual. And he recognizes this is a kairos moment, that's something that God has put in front of him in order for him to love his neighbor. That's the difference between chronos and kairos. You know, as a pastor, this passage haunts me because of anybody in this room, I'm the most like the Levite and the priest. I'm the most likely to, to shirk my duty as a human being to love one another for the sake of whatever is religious in front of me. I had a moment two years ago when I was doing a memorial, a small memorial, and it was on a particularly busy day. And uh, we finished the memorial, and I remember 
outside um, chatting with some of the individuals. And I had been told beforehand that the son of the deceased person was someone who struggled with addiction. I met this individual, and sure enough, it seemed like he did struggle with addiction because it was hard to talk to him. He couldn't really put a coherent thought together and said some strange things. And then he asked me for money. Okay, so I told him, I said, you know, here's what I can give for you. There's, there's a ministry in our church called Titus Ministry. And they can provide you some gas or some food if you need things like that. So I pointed him to the Titus Ministry. And then I finished up and I left because I had things to do. So I went up to my office. And as I was walking to my office, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I know what that guy really needs. That guy needs the healing presence of Jesus. That guy needs community. He needs accountability. I think he needs to be at Celebrate Recovery. And so as I was thinking that, I was also thinking, I'm really busy today. I've got a boatload of things to do, a list this long, and taking the time to pull a pamphlet off of the wall and walk back to this, guys, I just don't have time for that. And so in that moment, I was wrestling with Kronos versus Kairos. I was recognizing that there was this opportunity for me to love, in a simple way, to love this guy. To extend to him an invitation to CR. But then I also knew that there was the tasks ahead of me. That time was ticking away. And so I wrestled with this. And I made it all the way back to my office before I just, I said, you know what, what's the point? Why am I here? Am I here to do these tasks? Or am I here to love somebody? So I turned around and I took that pamphlet back to him. And I gave it to him, and I invited him to CR. And you know, the, the angels from heaven didn't sing as I did that. There wasn't any amazing moment. But you know what? I'm really, I'm really grateful that God prompted me to do that because I didn't miss out on the Kairos moment. It was more important for me to recognize the opportunity in the moment that was before me than to stay on schedule. Man, I bet you can identify with this, can't you? We all struggle with this, don't we? We are such a driven culture. We are driven. We are driven by our insecurities. We are driven by a need to succeed, to appear busy in front of other people, because if we don't appear busy, we're losers. Right? We are driven as a culture to do this, and so we are driven by chronos. And we don't have time to be interrupted. We don't have time to respond to the needs of the people around us, the needs of the church the needs of the poor, whatever it is, we are too busy. You know, it's interesting, as as we're reading this story, I, I was reflecting on this. Who do you think in the story of the Good Samaritan most resembles Jesus? Go ahead, tell me. The Samaritan, right, yeah. And that's not a bad answer. Because obviously the Samaritan is the one who extends love. He, like Jesus, binds up this person's wounds. He takes upon himself the care of this person. That is who Jesus is for us. But I said earlier, I want to see this parable through different lenses. So I wonder if instead of the Samaritan, we recognize Jesus in the wounded man. And I get them that idea from Matthew 25. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us this story about the end of the age when people come before him to be judged. And the king says to a group of people, he says, come into my kingdom. 
Because you are the ones who clothed me when I was naked, who fed me when I was hungry, who visited me in prison. And these people say to Jesus, when did we ever do any of those things? And Jesus says to them, as much as you have done it to the least of my brethren, you have done it to me. So we must recognize that in the Kairos moments, in these moments that we are interrupted in, when we must lower ourselves, when we must serve, in these moments, we have an opportunity to encounter Jesus. In those who are in, in need, Jesus tells us that when we serve those people, we are serving him. I had an opportunity like this about two years ago, or six years ago, rather. Megan and I were finishing up our last year of seminary. And uh, right before our last year, we had the opportunity to go to Signal Mountain Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, to serve as, as pastoral interns for a summer. And one of the things that they were doing at Signal Mountain at the time was a ministry called Night Owls. And Night Owls served families with special needs kids. So a bunch of people in the church got together and provided child care for these special needs kids for one night so that their parents could go out and go see a movie or go to the restaurant or whatever. So a whole bunch of people got together. And as you can imagine, child care for special needs kids is, is a lot of work. So we showed up and I, I felt, you know, a little at unease because I had not really worked with special needs kids. I was unsure of myself and how to love these kids, but I was there. And uh, they had brought the fire department there and fire engines to show off the kids. And, and they pulled these fire engines out, outside. And I was wandering around just kind of unsure of myself what to do. And, and uh, at one point I heard someone call my name. Larry, come on over. So I came over to see what they wanted. And they were with a kid uh, in a wheelchair who had muscular dystrophy. And if you know what muscular dystrophy does to someone, it causes their body to twist. And so there he was in the chair, his, his hands were stiff, his, his spine was twisted. He couldn't speak, he could only moan. But it was clear that this kid was really excited about these fire engines. So this lady asked me to pick him up and to carry him around the fire engine. So there it was, carrying him. And uh, we put his hands on the chrome highlights of this engine, brought him into the cockpit so that he could experience what it was like to be inside this fire engine. And then it was clear he'd had enough, so I laid him gently back into his wheelchair. I don't remember much from the rest of that night, but I remember as Megan and I were driving home, I just, I burst into tears. I wept. Because when I had carried that boy, I had recognized an image of who God was for me. Because somehow, despite how broken that boy was, I loved him. He was beautiful to me. And I recognized in that moment that that's who God sees me as. That no matter how broken I am, he loves me. And in that experience, I got to understand a little bit more of what the Samaritan must have experienced. That as he saw that broken man, he had an encounter with Jesus. And he recognized his purpose in life is to love those who need the most, most our love. And as he picked that man who was wounded and bleeding and put him on his donkey, he was the hands and feet of Jesus. What a beautiful thing. And we miss out. We miss out because we're so busy. 
And you have to wonder why sometimes we feel so spiritually dry and yet we are so busy in our lives. And it's got to be because of this. We just don't have the time to have these kairos encounters with Jesus. This morning, I have two challenges for you as you leave and as you go home. The first one is this. Take a look at your calendar. Look at your schedule. What's there? And then ask yourself, what does this say about what I think my purpose is? What does my schedule say about what my purpose is? Do I have room in my calendar for God, to love God? Do I have room in my calendar to love my neighbor? Think about your calendar and what it says about your purpose. And do that prayerfully. Don't load guilt on yourself. Just invite God into your calendar. Invite him to open your eyes to the Kairos moments. My second challenge is this. What are the things in your calendar you need to say no to? To make margin so that you can say yes to these Kairos moments. We cram our schedules full. But there are things that we have to be bold enough to say no to so that we can simply do nothing. So that we can say yes to those moments where we can be interrupted and serve. I'll pick one thing that I've noticed in Gig Harbor and that is um, sports. I've noticed so many families who, who have their kids in sports. And I'm not ragging on sports. Sports are a good thing. They teach us humility. They teach us dignity and teamwork. They're a good thing. But I see some families who have their kids in two or three sports at a time. And their evenings and their weekends are just packed. And they don't have time for anything else. And I wonder, what does that teach our families about what their purpose is? What does that teach us? And so I just ask us as a church to prayerfully consider what are the things that we should say no to. I hope for us as a body that we we are not like my younger self, stuck on his Game Boy, and missing out on some of the opportunities that are available to us. The grandness, the grandeur, the majesty, the wonder of these Kairos moments that are all around us. Let me pray for us. Father God, indeed, I just, I pray that if we leave here, you would have opened our eyes to the moments that we have to serve one another, to be interrupted, to fulfill our purpose to love one another. Lord, may we indeed walk in that purpose. May we not consider those interruptions as an annoyance, but may we consider and recognize and have eyes open to see how you move in this world. Lord, may we have these true Kairos encounters with you as we serve, as we are your hands and feet. Lord, I pray that you would give us those opportunities. I pray that we would be a people who love as you loved. Truly, may that be a a thing. May May we really be your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.